Right, this is my chat with Don Marty. So, um, Don uh, is in San Francisco. He, uh, formerly innovation strategist at uh, Mozilla, was also editor of uh, Linux Journal, um, has his own Wikipedia entry, so you can see all of his creds there. We had a, uh, a chat about uh, mainly around privacy issues uh, online, so uh, the CCPA, so that's California Consumer Privacy Act. Uh, so we got a bit of um, under the skin of the, uh, you know, the, how effective it is. Talked about uh, highly targeted uh, digital advertising. Not only is it, you know, ineffective, actually harmful uh, to brands and publishers. So we get into that. Um, also talked about uh, surveillance marketing uh, in general and a few little surprising things uh, it turns out that you know well, you know normally seen as one of the culprits uh, Facebook could uh, is actually a useful tool for consumers uh, to figure out uh, who knows what uh, about them anyway Don is uh, probably one of the smartest uh, people I know uh, and it was fantastic to get uh, just under an hour uh, chatting with him so I uh, hope you like it and here's uh, Don Marty Okay so hello Don how are you? Oh, not so bad, Ian. How about yourself? Uh, uh, very well. Are you being sort of compliant with uh, lockdown uh, sort of uh, procedure and all that kind of stuff? Um, uh, yes, I've been I've been uh, totes compliant. Just uh, <laughs> going out for just going out for essentials. And uh, strangely enough, I've gotten in the habit of leaving my phone at home even when I do go out. Just uh, <laughs> just uh, just in just in case. I mean, it's, it's funny. A few people, that, you know, are up to that. The Australian government have just launched an app that they that they want everyone uh, to download. You know, but the the more sort of cynical among us <laughs> say they don't, need, they don't need an app. Uh, they want to do that. Yeah, but uh, interesting uh, today there was um, or yesterday uh, on the TV news they had uh, one of the the chief medical officer or something from Australia came on and said, uh, you know, because our rates of, uh, of spread and infection and deaths are relatively low compared to the rest of the world, he said, if everyone really knuckles down and, and really sit tight for two more weeks, and then we can maybe start relaxing you know, some of the restrictions. So that was yesterday. And this morning, New South Wales announced the beaches are all open. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they they should take a lesson from the signposts at Disneyland, where they'll tell you, they'll put it on the sign saying the line from here is twenty five minutes, and oh, yeah. they know it's like fifteen or twenty minutes from that yeah. from that yeah. sign, but they want yeah. you to be pleasantly surprised and not yeah. getting more and more annoyed. Yeah, I'm I'm sure Amazon do that as well. You know, it's estimated delivery. You know, and it's always like the day before you're expecting it, you know, so they deliberately make it longer. Well, that doesn't matter, I guess, in, in, in civilization countries where you get it the next day. But uh, Australia, unfortunately, we're still a 
it's about a week before you can get anything. Anyway, um, so let's get into, because we're going to talk about um, CCPA uh, and, and privacy issues and uh, some of the things that you're sort of quite sort of vocal about. But I guess just to start off, do you want to give people a, a little bit of background uh, of, of um, you know, how you got to where you are today sort of thing? Yeah, well, I think that I'm the only person I know who has edited an ad-supported magazine and had root on a server of a, a big-time ad network and written an ad blocker. So I've kind of I've seen the, the problems and, and available opportunities in web advertising from a bunch of different points of view. Yeah, because, uh, you know, because you've, you've spoken, uh, well, when we spoke together at a marketing science event in Sydney last year or the year before, and you've done Nudge Stock as well, uh, and other sort of, you know, quite ad industry events, you know, so you're kind of inside the advertising business, but outside of it at the same time. Um, yeah, I also do events like FOSDEM and yeah. Southern California Linux Expo and, yeah. and MozFest. Yeah. So I guess, it, I mean, that gives, how, what, what do you, what's your sort of, you know, listening to uh, other people in the ad business talk? How, and, and obviously, because you're sort of coming at it from, uh, from more from the sort of, uh, you know, uh, Let's say the sort of technology uh, side. Does it is you know? Do you find um, you know as a, as an industry, how much of a grip have has your you know the average ad industry mouthpiece got on on what's going on uh, from a technological standpoint? Well, what's what's funny about the ad business is how much time people seem to spend on the least interesting lower value parts of the business yeah. i mean they they say that the future is in putting the the right ad in front of the right user at the right time but that's that's how you get someone to click on an offer and and buy something at a discount that's yeah. not how you build up the brand equity in the user's mind that that makes them spend extra for your product uh, for the rest of their life. Yeah, it's, I, I haven't sort of fully worked this out, but it did. It, it strikes me that you know the the sort of hyper targeting point of view, which appears to be the most advanced and the most the most sort of you know modern technologically advanced form of doing you know communications it's actually more like the old sort of claude hopkins type sort of you know almost pre-direct marketing uh pre bill bernback era of, yeah of it's direct it's direct yeah. mail math it's yeah. direct mail math so if you yeah. if you if you read a lot of what people are saying is the latest uh, technology in advertising. Well, um, Dave, David Ogilvy did a 
uh, spread for his clients on how to do data-driven direct advertising um, like 50 years ago. Yeah. So this is, this is a, this is a, a relatively old area and there's a lot of, there's a lot of, of stuff that direct mail people have, have done and, and tried and, and yeah. moved on from that isn't recycled at uh, the speed of JavaScript. Yeah. So, do, I mean, on that topic, I wanted to, um, talk about there was a there's a sort of blog post that you started probably about 2000 well so we talked about this before 2015 but it was compiled of things that were even written previous uh, to that which was for you know for a lot of people it crystallized there was a lot of this kind of thinking uh, going around but nobody had really pulled it together and really crystallized it and uh, certainly for a lot of people i know that was because when I shared it around, everyone went, that's it, that's it. You know, but <laughs> someone's finally put their finger on it. And so the post was called Targeting Considered Harmful. Um, and, you know, so it's at least five years old now, but you, you get the feeling that people are only just, you know, at, at scale coming around to some of those ideas that you put out there then, you know, uh, now. Um, do you want to just... Um, Give us the sort of summary, really, of the of of the key parts of the post because it is an epic. It's like a an epic sort of Greek play in terms of length, isn't it? It's probably a book, really, but it's a blog post. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a post I wrote called "Targeted Advertising Considered Harmful," yeah. and the the weird effect that I was trying to figure out is why didn't people run my ad blocker back in the 90s so in the in the days when um, when most web users were on dial-up and banner ads took a significant amount of time out of your web browsing experience. You could actually see them loading like a window shade coming down. Um, browsers did not have built-in pop-up blockers, so top-level windows popping up with advertising was, was a thing on the web. So really the, the annoyance level of 90s web advertising, considering the, the fraction of your web browsing resources that it tied up, um, was, was greater than today. Mm. But, um, but ad blockers didn't really take off. I wrote one, and I got one other user. Uh, there were some really pretty well done professional ones like web washer, ad subtract, internet junk buster, these are all these are all um, pre adblock plus ad blockers that came out in in the '90s and and nobody really ran them. So when I when I tried to figure out why ad blocking was finally catching on in the early 2010s, 
what I started to see is that targeting of ads is starting to become visible to the user. So now instead of seeing ads that are appearing on the site and they're more or less annoying, you start to see ads where you get the impression that, hey, wait a minute, this ad is targeted to me. So as soon as people started seeing a retargeted ad that follows them from uh, an e-commerce site to a content site, that's when ad blocking started taking off. And that's when I started digging into some of the old marketing literature on signaling and how advertising really works. Mm -hmm. So just that, so signaling in advertising, that's sort of derived from what you would call from economic signaling, right? So it's the, um, the same principle as, uh, you know, for instance, companies might spend, you know, a lavish amount of money on the frontage of their buildings or, or something like that, because it, because it then that, that signals to the public that they're, a, uh, you know, stable, trustworthy company. So how that, how that, you know, how that idea in advertising, uh, is the same idea. It's, it's the perceived cost of the communication. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course in the proto ad blocker days when the number of people running ad blockers was very small, the, the ad blocker users were, would say, well, I'm not the kind of person who's affected by advertising anyway. I'm a hyper rational Mr. Spock type and I choose products based on rational considerations. And so those, those slick ads will never persuade me one way or the other. And I ran across a, a interesting um, explanation of the real role of advertising called um, uh, is advertising rational by uh, Davis K and star. And it turns out that, that, Paying attention to advertising is rational because there are advertising investments that make sense for an honest advertiser who intends to stay in the market for longer, um, but that don't pay off for a deceptive advertiser. And so most of us don't have the time to evaluate all the qualities of, of every purchasing decision we make. And so we apply mental shortcuts. And Rory Sutherland at Ogilvy um, said, well, a, a good example is when do you see racehorse owners betting on their own horse? Of course, they've got more information about the qualities of that horse than most of the, the gamblers at the track. So if you know that, that uh, the owner is heavily backing one of their horses, you're, you're rational to follow along with them. And that's the same kind of, of buying 
heuristic that we can apply to brands that mm. that choose to send an economic signal by advertising. Mm. Now, but the other, I guess the harmful part, this is where it gets interesting, right? Because, uh, you know, you can argue about signaling and, and, and deception. Uh, and, and, and so I guess that causes a problem for a consumer. But, yes. but now we get into problems for, for publishers. And this is, and, uh, you know, it's, it's actually become a bigger problem for them than they probably would have first imagined. Correct. Yes. Well, um, in in an advertising medium where ads can be targeted to the individual, then those ads are carrying less economic signal. So, of course, it becomes rational for the uh, for the member of the audience to start ignoring blocking or regulating those ads that's kind of it's kind of like the three levels of of banner blindness you ignore the ad out of habit you install a tool to hide the ad from you and then you get your government to do something about the ad and so the less that the ad pays its way by carrying economic signal the more likely that the audience is to try to get that ad out of their face using using one of those three levels. Yeah. So what? Um, so coming back to if I'm uh, well, here's an example. I was talking to a major publisher here in, in Australia uh, a few weeks ago, and they they were sort of uh, you know taking steps to to limit amount of tracking and things on the site in response really to the sort of the, the you know the tide of public opinion sort of starting to change but uh, they said the difficulty was that they don't even know uh, who's collecting data on their sites and you know there's a certain amount they can see but there's a certain amount that's invisible even to the to the publisher themselves how, how right that and be? well this is this is where I uh, disagree with some of the privacy advocates who will go tell publishers to, hey, take all those tracking scripts and tracking pixels off of your site. Because as long as other sites still have those tracking scripts and, and tracking pixels, then that publisher's audience is reachable elsewhere. And so, so when, when marketers are trying to get a given number of ad impressions in front of a defined group of people at a minimum price, mm. then as long as that audience is trackable from one site to another, then the sites don't have any market power to maintain the price of ad impressions and the, the value of an ad impression reaching that audience tends to, tends to fall. And how big, a, how big, a, there's different estimations as to how big a problem, uh, you know, fraud is in this equation. I mean, what's, what's your sense of, uh, is it, you know, is it overestimated or is it underestimated? I think it's, it's not 
really that useful to go by what's the percentage of ad fraud in the market because it can vary so much by campaigns. It's kind of like saying, uh, it's kind of like going outside and, and seeing that one of the tires on your car is flat and then saying, well, I'm going to go for a drive anyway because according to the best available numbers, fewer than 10% of the tires in town are actually flat. Um, you can you can have a campaign that does relatively well in in getting placed on real sites with real human audiences, and then you can have campaigns that that just get their behinds kicked and and go to um, to almost all bots. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Anyway, let's get sort of get things up to date now. And uh, you've um, been sort of vocal uh, and, and and doing activities, uh, uh, sort of coming up to the uh, sort of um, I don't know what you call it, enforcement or the the, uh, and the the actual launch of the uh, of the CCPA uh, legislation in California. So that's uh, California Consumer Privacy Act. So. Um, it's probably not that well known in California, so it's probably even less well known in the rest of the world. So, what's um, in, in sort of simple terms, uh, what's CCPA, and, uh, and and how effective is it is it likely to be? Well, CCPA is remarkably popular in California. A lot okay. of the ballot right. initiatives that show up on. Uh, California elections are pretty contentious, but once um, once CCPA, once the, the original version of CCPA was pushed as a ballot initiative, it was so likely to pass that the legislature ended up doing uh, a law with a lot of the same principles instead. And right. so um, there's actually an initiative that's somewhere in the pipe. I don't know if they managed to get enough signatures for it before they shut down things in California, but there's an initiative um, in progress to expand and and extend the, the privacy regulation of CCPA. And that uh, initiative also polls really well. So CCPA is, is tremendously popular, it's tremendously bipartisan, and it's fairly fairly simple in what it does. Yeah. Um, there, are basically, there are basically three things that, it, that it'll let you do. It'll let you um, uh, request that a company do not sell my personal information. Mm -hmm. It will let you uh, ask a company for a copy of your personal information that they have, um, and it will let you uh, request that a company uh, delete or stop using your personal information. Now, unlike GDPR, CCPA is opt-out. So for GDPR, you have to somehow give consent to having your information used for ad targeting. Mm -hmm. Under CCPA, it's opt-out. You're assumed to um, 
let your information be used, then you have to go through a, yeah. a process to opt out of, of having it used if you don't want it to be. Just, but um, this, I'm always curious about this, you know, so if, uh, you know, so through this, you have to um, you request, uh, you can, you can uh, state whether uh, they can sell your data or not. Now that, you know, one of the arguments is that when the when data is collected on you know uh, through someone else's site, then it's their data. It's not it's not yours. How do you draw the line between what's my data and what's the, you know data that they've collected that then belongs to them? Well, that's one of those things where if you want to pay a lawyer to slice and dice it finely and and push and push the limits of something then then you can and of course some of the the big uh, surveillance marketing companies in California are trying to push the limits of what they uh, can and can't do with certain types of data and what's considered a sale um, and and a lot of that remains to be worked out in the enforcement process the CCPA, I mean, it was really sort of directed at, uh, you know, I guess, the, the specific uh, companies that they wanted to target with that legislation to comply, isn't there? Right. It's it's targeted at, at creepy nerd stuff. People yeah. get on the internet, they get creeped out, and they say, nerds, stop it. And the nerds say, well, actually, we're not doing the thing that, that you said we were doing. Yeah. And then people say, I don't care, cut it out, I'm creeped out. And that's when they start uh, talking to um, their elected representatives and signing petitions. Yeah. As, a, as a sort of consumer, so I now have the right to, uh, to opt out of the things, but it's not, it's not always easy because you have to do it sort of, you know, um, it's, it's, you have to do it one site at a time almost, don't you? Yeah, yeah, you have to find a company that you never heard of to figure out how to delete the fact that you bought a package of office paper on yeah. February 2nd. And yeah. I bought I bought uh, regular white office paper on February 2nd and there are some vendors who know that and now everybody in the world knows that because they can hear it here on this podcast. So I mean, so it's great that CCPA exists, although it might be a little bit difficult to sort of participate with. Um, but I think, I mean, you're of the view that there's, that there's more stuff can be done at the user's end with the browsers uh, and things like that, rather than going through the ordeal of having to opt out with every, uh, every vendor that you might sort of stumble across. Sure. And, and the current regulations, have, as they're drafted, um, indicate that if there is a standard browser-based signal of do not sell, that companies should honor that signal. And that's great if you're talking about opting out of sale by a company that happens to be on the other end of the network connection from you. But in a lot of cases, that information is held by a broker that isn't a party to your your web browsing session. Mm. And so for that type of problem, uh, the drafters of the CCPA 
came up with the concept of an authorized agent where you can say, here are the kinds of uses of my personal data that I'm all right with or that I want to block. Mm. And then you designate an organization to go out and express those preferences to uh, all the, the companies out there that, that might be doing it. So this is, I mean, it's, this is close in nature to the, because uh, the idea of personal data lockers or whatever, it's been talked about for years. There's never really been a satisfying, a satisfactory sort of version of that yet, has there? Right, right. Well, well, running a permission-based user data store is like trying to sell a sack of artisanal homegrown soybeans outside the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. There's right. just so much data out there that's been taken without permission that's easy to buy and it's cheap that there's really no reason for a large-scale marketing campaign to bother with it. Right. So now that we have GDPR and CCPA to sort of carve out some negative space around that permission-based data and and suppress the non-permission-based data from the market, mm. I think there will be more interest in uh, data co-ops and, and data stewards. At the, you know, I guess one of the organizations at the sort of center of this is the uh, IAB. Um, now, you've spoken about this before, about their sort of conflicted uh, uh, position, really. Um, do you want to sort of expand on that? Because it's quite interesting. Yeah, the, the IAB is a really funny organization because they've got members who are definitely legit publishers who are who are on the the side of constructive brand building advertising mm. and then over time they've also managed to accumulate as members a bunch of technology players that are um, are not so constructive so mm. So managing managing the IAB has to be a, a constant source of tension between the the different interests, and it's it's interesting uh, to see that that organization somehow manage to hold together. Hmm. So, um, just um, leading on from that, I just want to. Um, so I saw the uh, talk that you did at the uh, Linux. Uh, festival camera what it was called uh, and there was there was a little bit of sort of java script uh, that you did you know, i'm not going to pretend to totally understand uh, that but it was um you know it seemed interesting as a sort of little personal sort of hack that you can uh, that you can do so this is this is connected to the um so i've written it down the usp api what's um just in sort of you know in layperson's terms, can you explain what you uh, what you did there? Sure, sure. the The IAB came out with a simple standard for reflecting across a, a number of third parties on a web page whether the user has been offered the chance to 
opt out under CCPA and whether the user has made that choice. And so in, in a lot of uh, situations, if you're reading a, a web page in California, there'll be a link at the bottom that says, do not sell my personal information. So what you can do in JavaScript in a browser extension is apply that choice uh, by default across uh, various sites that you visit instead of having to remember to click that link on every site. So it's kind of like it's kind of like the old do not track where you, you used to be able to set an HTTP header that says do not track me and of course there's no there was no do not track law uh, there was no do not track regulation so the do not track header was was kind of a waste of bandwidth but yeah. at this point now that there is a regulation that this IAB standard is there to comply with uh, now a privacy tool on the browser side can do more to express what the user wants done with their info and expect that the other end of the connection will carry it out mm. if, uh, and there's other things like privacy badger which which i've been using i don't know how effective how sort of uh, legit these things are I mean, it certainly seems to do what it says it, it does but of course you've no way of knowing what's going on in behind there are these are these things um you know how credible are those things in your view i i think they have a valuable role there's there's a browser extension called disconnect that will block certain third-party tracking um, based on a list that's maintained publicly and in an open source repository. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Privacy Badger will try to detect third parties that are setting some kind of a tracking cookie uh, and then block those. So yeah. it's a it's a behavior-based approach while yeah. Disconnect is a list-based approach. Yeah. And of course, the browsers now are doing a subset of what the privacy extensions do. And so if you run uh, Apple Safari with ITP, that was the, the earliest mainstream browser to really, to really push some of the tracking protection. Um, Firefox now has ETP, Enhanced uh, Tracking Protection, which is uh, list-based, they use the disconnect list. Microsoft Edge has their uh, tracking protection feature, which is also uh, running from the disconnect list. So there's there's come to be more of a consensus across the browsers that third-party tracking is not something that that meets users' expectations. And so it's uh, it's a, a way to um, help uh, attract and retain users. Mm. I guess, I mean, but leading on from that, one, uh, one of your kind of uh, headlines is uh, the place to worry is not on the page. Um, can I just uh, give us a sort of summary of that idea because uh, that's probably the more sort of dystopian uh, element uh, of this, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you're if you're 
if you're um, dealing with uh, ad placements on, say, social sites, then those are not going to be materially affected by uh, blocking third-party trackers. So there's really there's really a a lot that you can do with blocking third-party tracking on a regular web page, but you're not going to get a clean experience overall unless you can you can take out some of of your data from uh, companies that aren't um, actually in the the session with you. Yeah. Uh <clears throat> a sort of uh, unlikely uh, useful tool in this uh, uh, whole debacle turns out to be uh, Facebook, of course. Yes, Facebook will let you grab your list of companies that have uploaded your information to Facebook. And technically, uh, according to Facebook's written policy, these companies are not supposed to be sending your info to Facebook unless they've gotten your consent. Now, this, this is one of those Facebook ad policies that's completely different in its uh, written version and its real uh, version as enforced. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you look at your, your ad settings in your Facebook account, you'll find all kinds of, of uh, wonderful um, fake, uh, fake um, product review rings, um, uh, sketchy marketing companies. For a while there, there was a whole mess of car dealers that were all uploading the same people's information. And I was, I was uh, having my information uh, uploaded to a Facebook custom audience by a car dealer in New Jersey. So, so it was hard to tell, this is pre-CCPA, it was hard to yeah. tell, how does a car dealer in New Jersey have my name in their database of hot leads? And of course, yeah. what, what has to have happened is that some clever um, marketing uh, entrepreneur went around to all the car dealers and said, I've got all these, these in-market car buyers, and he sold them a bunch of email addresses off an old spam CD and yeah. uh, made bank. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess on the, I mean, just to sort of uh, start to wrap this up, on, on the one hand, you know, it seems like there's just, there is this, this sheer weight of this huge surveillance machine bearing down, uh, you know, and I guess you know, some, you know, I guess more sort of savvy people that are switched on can, you know, uh, you know, can, can play with different settings and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, you're just your average Joe, um, you know, I'm not sure how engaged, you know, they are with that. But yeah, I mean, you've been experimenting with a couple of things uh, with, in, in sort of, you know, gamifying the, um, uh, your sort of privacy experience. Um, How's, how's that? I mean, we talked about that a little while ago, but how's that? What's the sort of progress with that? I think it's it's a promising approach, but it's it's an area where it takes a lot of 
um, a lot of software development to figure out how to do each individual opt-out. So we're really going to need to have more of an open source effort around the opt-out tools. Otherwise, otherwise we'll end up in kind of a, a two-class system where people who can afford to uh, do the opt-outs or buy the technology or hire someone to do it for them are going to have a better and better, more creative experience of advertising. Mm -hmm. And then people who are um, lower budget and, and frankly less in demand as an advertising audience are going to end up getting more and more targeted scams for predatory finance, miracle cures, all the, yeah. all the, the crap that, that tends to show up even on legit websites. So what do you, I mean, it, looking at, you know, I guess, you know, we're in this sort of environment where, you know, everyone says that everything's evolving so fast and, you know, but it's kind of, it kind of isn't in, in a way, you know, because we're, we're sort of creeping forward. But I mean, it, even, you know, this conversation has been, has been around for almost 10 years, you know, and still not, not a lot is, is changing. What was your sense of, uh, obviously never make predictions, you know, particularly about the future, <laughs> but, uh, but what was the sort of, the, you know, the shape of the internet, you know, in maybe three to five years, uh, you know, is it going to sort of collapse in on itself like a big black hole or, or do you think we're going to come out the other end of this and it's, um, you know, eventually everyone's going to wake up to, you know, this has been a, a, an experiment that just didn't work. And now let's get back to, um, you know, quality publishing and first party ad selling and, and, you know, and a natural hierarchy of quality and things like that. What do you think? Well, the, the area where a lot of big internet platforms now have been able to sustain bubble-like valuations is because of um, under-moderation, under-reviewing, and, and lack of quality assurance. So it's, it's the, the common thread across all the big internet platforms is where are the scammers making money and the platforms making money. So good example would be all the fake and expired stuff you can buy on Amazon. There are there are certain brands where you go to look you go to look for um, HP printer cartridges or Levi's jeans on Amazon. There's so many fakes you just give up and go to the store. Um, or there are a lot of 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 products that are that are offered on various platforms where the scammers are doing okay, the platform's doing okay, but but that platform just isn't providing sustainable value to the audience. Uh, you also see that kind of thing with YouTube videos where, where brands are, are buying, expecting that they're going to get into a decent environment, but they're, but they're ending up on uh, a site about, or they're ending up on a, on a video channel about how you should uh, drink aquarium chemicals to cure what ails you, or 
here's why the 5G towers are causing pandemics and and that kind of thing. So so you're 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 going to end up seeing either um, platforms hiring people to clean stuff up or you're going to end up seeing brands figuring out how to use a subset of a platform um, you 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 already see that with with stuff like um, Google pixel Chromebook and nest advertising on YouTube they don't they don't buy ad placements for Google's and user facing brands the same way that they want uh, other advertisers to buy ads for their brands they, that they have an extra layer of uh, of filtering and brand safety and that's that's a a, a situation where revenue per employee is going to end up looking not quite so astronomical as they have to get those platforms to a sustainable level of of uh, honest content and brand safety yeah, yeah. i did um, it's funny i did a one of my occasional guest lectures you know for the, uh, the university um and uh, I, I opened up with, do, do you remember that sort of digital image that was last year, it was produced of the black hole, some people in NASA or something had done it. And it was the oh, first sure, image. sure. Yeah. Uh, so I had that as my opening slide, you know, and I said, uh, uh, you know, one thing that they haven't managed to find out is what is actually in the middle of a black hole. So I sort of zoomed into it, you know, and I just put a little YouTube logo in there because <laughs> <laughs> that's what's at the bottom. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. Just so, just to to wrap up, do you want to tell us just a little bit, as much as you as you're comfortable revealing at this point about what? Because you're you're about to embark on it, or have just embarked on a new sort of uh, professional uh, venture. Um, so, you wanted to tell us a little bit about what what that's going to look like. Sure, sure. And and the thing that I've been doing is talking to a lot of people about uh, hey what's going on with uh, authorized agents for CCPA and uh, how do we build a next generation user platform that takes care of actually reflecting people's true preferences into how their information is used and of course you can't come at it either from the pure privacy nerd point of view where people say hey nobody wants any of their information anywhere um, or and, and, of course, you can't come at it from the, the database marketing absolutist point of view either, which is, hey, all consumers love to connect and share with all brands all the time. They, 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 they love to uh, have brands know more about them. There's, mm. there's really a lot more nuances in how people think about their information and, and who should use it, and there's a big opportunity for an authorized agent to reflect those preferences out to the companies that that care about using people's data correctly and so so i'm um doing a uh project now with uh, consumer reports um which is uh the host of uh, consumer reports digital lab um to uh, understand 
where uh, authorized agents can be a uh, 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 a new kind of participant in the data economy. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, well, cool. Well, best of luck. Uh, with Thank that. you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and thanks for sharing your uh, wisdom. So, Thanks for having me on the show. All right, brilliant. Thank you. Who are the people? We are the people. And who are the people? All the people.